This episode has been brought to you by Notion. As a CMO Wild Apricot, I'm constantly asking my team questions like, how much is an email worth? How is that Google AdWords campaign performing? What's the ROI on that webinar we just held? At the business level, I'm asking about other metrics like, what's our CAC payback period? What was our net churn last month? And what was the average deal size for Q3 this year? These questions require multiple inputs from multiple different sources, often involving multiple people who have access in different places. With Notion, you can bring all your data together in one place. It connects with key tools like Jira, Mixpanel, Zendesk, and MailChimp. It allows multiple stakeholders to collaborate to generate key business reports. And most importantly, it gives you one hub for all your business intelligence data so that you always have a pulse on your business. Get started for free at www.usenotion.com. That address again is www.usenotion.com. And now on to the show. You're listening to How to SaaS, the number one podcast to grow your cloud software company with marketing, sales, and customer success in just 10 minutes a day. Each episode will feature a tip, hack, or secret to take your SaaS company to the next level. And now, here's your host and growth strategist, Shiv Narayanan. Hey everybody, welcome to today's episode. We've got a really great guest for you today. His name is Dave Basu. He is the CEO of Powered by Search, which is one of the top tier agencies in Toronto when it comes to paid organic and Facebook advertising. Uh, They've actually worked with some amazing companies like Touch Bistro, CallRail, and Clio. And actually they manage a lot more spend for companies like FedEx, Allstate, Intact, and many more. Uh, What I wanted to bring Dave on is to share their frameworks. He shares a lot of interesting frameworks in terms of how SaaS companies can approach demand generation when it comes to paid and organic channels. Um, And he shares something that he calls the intent engine. And he walks uh, walks you and, and me through the process that they use at Powered by Search for their clients to build that intent engine out to attract, engage, and convert more customers. So what I really want you to listen to is the real life examples Dave brings to the episode from all the different kinds of clients that he's worked with. And overall, Dave is just a super smart guy and he's a really good guy too. So this is pure white hat marketing to find a way to grow your business. It's awesome and every company will be able to find something that they can use in this episode to start to scale up the number of leads that they're generating. And also I highly recommend uh, Powered by Search as well. If you're looking to hire an agency of some kind to bring into your demand generation uh, mix, Powered by Search is probably one of the best options, if not the best that you can probably look at. So that's it, guys. Enjoy the episode. And at the end of the episode, I actually give a plug uh, for them and how you can uh, get in touch with them and how you can start working with them. All right. Welcome to the show, Dave. How's it going? I'm doing very well, man. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for making the time. Uh, So why don't we start off by giving the audience a background about yourself, about Powered by Search, and then we'll take it from there. Yeah, that sounds brilliant. So, and again, thanks for the opportunity. This is a great way to jam out and talk some marketing. Uh, So my name's Deb Basu. I run a digital marketing agency called Powered by Search. And who we help, especially in the context of this show, is uh, SaaS companies. And we help them attract, engage, and convert clicks into customers. We do it like clockwork. Um, and this means going from click to either trial or click to, you know, book demo and all the way down to the, the point where they become uh, a paying customer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and exactly how do you do that? And what are some companies that you guys have worked with? 
Uh, a lot in the, the SaaS space, both in North America as well as um, the rest of the world, uh, companies like, you know, right here in Toronto, Touch Bistro, they're uh, an iPad point of sale company, and uh, we help them go from right after, I think, their Series A round all the way to their Series D. Uh, they tripled in growth while working with us, and, uh, and we drove all of that growth through digital channels like Google from organic search and paid search, as well as through Facebook advertising as well. Um, company called CallRail that I'm an advisor in, and they started out really early where I was helping them with advising on how to build the call tracking platform. Then they raised funding and we helped them grow um, using paid search. Um, company called Clio that's out, out in yep. the West Coast. They're a, a legal uh, case management software platform. And so helping them understand where the opportunity really is with their, uh, their SEO as well as their paid search. And so those are some of the examples that are probably what more well-known names. In the SaaS niche, but you guys have also worked with a lot bigger clients, right? Do you want to just throw out some names there? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, I mean, our clients typically come to us with the common problem being that they don't get you know, enough attention. They have problems building connection with their audience, and therefore, they don't get the conversion that they want. And so um, we drive currently about $2.4 to $2.6 billion of commerce for companies like, like FedEx, like Allstate, uh, Intact, and, uh, and, and a number of others that are, are all really household, household names. Mm-hmm. So you've done, you spent a lot on paid advertising, more than most people listening. So um, why don't you tell us about exactly what is the framework that you're taking these clients through? Because, you know, getting, getting leads is a problem that pretty much every SaaS company is facing. Yeah, you know what? I haven't met a single company yet who said, I've got enough leads. Thank you very much. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, our framework stems from um, some very early days in understanding consumer psychology and you know core selling. And so this kind of stems back to when I was 15 or 16 years old and listening to Tony Robbins and Zig Ziglar on repeat every single day. And it comes to this quote that Zig Ziglar has, Zig Ziglar has which is, you know, if you, um, and, and I'm paraphrasing over here, but if you help enough people get what they want, they'll give you everything that you want. Mm-hmm. And so primarily when we were building up Powered by Search, um, initially it was all about attraction and acquisition. So we got our clients lots of traffic. And then they came to us and said, this is great. We really doubled or tripled the amount of traffic that we wanted but we're having a a problem having these these visitors stick around. So can you help us with helping them stick around and make our sites more sticky? So then we started doing engagement and helping them building out content that really um, delivers transformation instead of information. And then they said, that's fantastic. Now we have people who love us and they're sticking around, but they're not raising their hands and they're not buying and converting. And so then we figured out how to really show up in front of the right person with the right offer at the right time and convert them. So we put the whole thing together into this framework called the, the intent engine. And, and the primary sort of philosophy behind it is if you know what your end customer wants and then you give it to them, they will award you their business. Right, right. So what would be an example of presenting a customer with, with the right offer at the right time? Yeah, so an example would be, you know, there's a there's these different temperatures of traffic as to you know whether somebody knows you, um, you know, and or not. So in your case, for Wild Apricot and the type of software that you've got, which is membership software, 
if somebody's never heard of you, you wouldn't want to get married to them the first time you meet. And so you might want to give them some information about how membership software helps them get a certain end result that they seek. Mm -hmm. um, and so that would be probably much more apt than saying, um, let's start a demo, which is a little bit like trying to get married on the first date. So that's an example of maybe having the right person, but not having the right offer at the right time. And so we want to sequence these things in a way where you build trust over a period of time. And then there are things that we do to dramatically cut down sales cycles, especially a lot of the, the businesses that we deal with have longer sales cycles or B2B. And uh, you know they might have a, a three to six month cycle trying to sell through a, a fifty to one hundred and fifty thousand dollar deal. So there are things that we can do in the way that we attract, engage, and convert to dramatically reduce that sales cycle. And as you probably know, um, with SaaS, the earlier you grab that revenue, the higher the impact really is at the end of the year when you're looking at your numbers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so an example of, and when you're talking about temperatures, you know hot, warm, cold. So somebody that's a cold lead that's never heard of you, something like a blog post or some kind of a white paper download might be something that they're interested in just to get them warmed up. If they're a warm lead, you might invite them to some kind of a sales webinar or put them in some kind of, uh, some kind of a drip campaign, uh, or they might want to see some kind of a case study. If they're a hot lead, they might want to actually try the software. So you want to put the free trial front and center in front of them. Yeah, you, you, you've exactly got that right. And then there's some sometimes when you know people come to our websites, we really don't know if they're warm, hot, or cold. So just website engagement alone, or even platform engagement, like is it if somebody's sharing your content or engaging with it on a platform like LinkedIn or Facebook, that's not enough. Um, and so there's also this concept of uh, you know a, a highway lane. So if you think about when you're on the highway you know, the leftmost lane is the passing lane and that's where cars tend to go fastest. And then the middle lane is a little bit slower and the right lane is the slowest. So allowing the customer to, you know, where you meet them where they really are today rather than where you'd like them to be, mm-hmm. give them the option of selecting those lanes. So uh, as an example on our website, if you go to the homepage, one of the things that we do over there is go, hey, you're, you've come to our homepage, we don't really know what you're really after today. You may want to immediately hire uh, you know, an agency like ours because perhaps you've just emerged from a, a boardroom meeting where that's become a strategic mandate. Um, or you may want to learn a bit more about what questions to ask an agency. Or maybe you, you know, you're in neither of those camps and you really want to just understand what the methodology is to be able to get more leads and, and traffic and convert it. So what we've done is given sort of three different offers. There's kind of like a a red, green, and a yellow offer. And if somebody wants to go fast forward and immediately talk to us, they can do that. And that's where they request a, a, essentially in the SaaS context, that would be a demo. In our case, it's a a marketing assessment. Um, But if they want to go a bit slower, in the slow lane, the right lane, they can just download a guide on how to hire a digital marketing agency. And that just gives them what questions they should look for and look out for when making that decision. Um, the nice thing about doing it that way is you're not trying to make yourself seem like the hero of their story. They're the hero and you position yourself as the guide, uh, a little bit like Obi-Wan in, uh, in Star Wars. And, you know, you kind of give up the hero role. They're Luke Skywalker in that particular circumstance. Mm-hmm. So, and where do you see that part fitting? Like, I know it's in storytelling and we have examples ourselves, but I want to hear it from you. Like, how does that fit into this concept of the, the lanes, the fastest, medium, or, or slow-moving lanes? 
Yeah, I think what it, where it figures in is we don't always know everything that there is to know about our, our clients and customers. And so just by looking at their behavior when they come to our websites, um, you know, is not enough. So an example is if you've never had somebody come to your website before, it may be easy to assume that they're a cold, um, cold visitor. And that might be entirely true. Or that if somebody is coming back from a remarketing ad, that they're either warm or hot. Uh, but you could have a cold visitor who's heard of you through word of mouth and immediately does want to get a demo. And so it doesn't make sense um, to hold the opportunity for them to kind of fast forward that entire process. Uh, one of the things that I've seen marketers do is try to be very clever and use kind of like an ascension model where you get the visitor or the user to do something something really, really small in terms of a commitment, like maybe give up an email and a, mm -hmm. and a first name, and then you get hammered with emails. Email sequences, um, yeah. And sequences in the hopes that, you know, magically at the 14-day mark, they'd be ready for a trial. And I think that's a little bit, it dehumanizes the, the person on the other end. Mm -hmm. And so we all, our job is, is to show the visitor options and let them raise their hand and figure out how they'd like to engage with yeah. One framework I like to use, and by the way, I completely agree, is um, one framework I like to use is um, the buyer journey in its most simplified state is awareness, knowledge, and consideration. And if you mm. look at it, just those three columns, you know, it can seem obvious that, oh, when somebody's in the consideration stage, I need to have a free trial offer. But I like to look at it more as a nine quadrant system. So you have those uh, columns, but then you also have three rows, which is kind of the equivalent of this red, green, yellow, or fastest, medium, slowest lane, or hot, warm, cold. And then you say, in the consideration and hot stage, that might be someone who knows everything about you, has seen the website, has read your case studies. For them, a free trial is a good option. But let's say Dave tells me tomorrow, hey, go check out Wild Apricot. Then I might end up on the Wild Apricot website looking for membership software, but it's the first time ever I've ever encountered the platform. So I need more information. So I might need to download a white paper of some kind. So just giving prospects different offers because different offers appeal to different prospects at different stages. Yeah, you're totally right about that. It, it comes back to meeting the customer where they are rather than where you, the marketer, want them to be. And then just let them kind of raise their hand and go, I want to do this, this, and this, and whatever that is, you want to have the next logical step available to them. And so part of this system that we built called the Intent Engine is answering four questions whenever you're looking at any piece of content, an offer, a lead magnet, really anything that you want your user to engage with. Mm -hmm. And the four questions are why, what, how, and now. And the, the idea behind that is five seconds is the amount of time that you really have to engage a cold uh, person who's coming to your website. If you don't capture their attention and their interest, they're gone. Mm -hmm. And so the first question is, that they're going, you know, in their head, it's very subliminal, but they're going, why am I here? And if that's not immediately apparent to them, then they will bounce. Mm -hmm. uh, the next one is, what is this page all about? Like, what can I do over here? And they're really asking the sort of the inherent question is, is this right for me? Um, and if the answer is no, again, they bounce. The third is what, uh, or rather, sorry, the third is how, which is how does this piece of software that I have in front of me, how does it work? How does it help me? How does it you know, anticipate the situation that I'm facing right now? And the last part 
is now, which is the, the call to action, which is now that I've seen why it matters, what it is, how it works, the next step really is, okay, what do you want me to, to do next? I don't wanna think about it, just show me what you want me to do next, and if you're asking me to do the right thing, as in you're asking me for my phone number rather than asking me to get married, I might just say yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, so tell me, like, these are first of all, these are very good questions. But um, based on where people are coming from, can you not build a more contained experience? So, for example, Touch Bistro offer your your client they offer um, restaurants the ability to have like an ordering system on on tablets and all this stuff. So um, for them, like you know, restaurant order management software would be a keyword on Google. That's a very qualified keyword. If I'm typing that in, I'm likely far more interested than just finding out about how it works necessarily. I might be more interested in giving my phone number or or getting a demo or starting a trial. So this is your intent engine accounting for that and accounting for that experience? Yeah, it is. And I think one of the nice things about it is it's uh, it's a little bit like water in the sense that you can put it in any vessel and it just assumes the form of that vessel. So often when we first start talking to people about the intent engine, you know, they're, they're natural questions veer to, does this work for video marketing? Does it work for my blog posts? Will it, mm-hmm. work, will it work for my solutions or service pages? And the answer is yes to all of those because any piece of communication that you convey um, even for a bottom of funnel, like like book a demo right now, now type of page, you still need to run through those four questions because they're like a little bit like gates. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't pass the first gate, you don't get to the second and the second to the third and so on. And so even if it's a one line headline that basically says, you know, so-and-so company helps X person do Y result without Z risk, that's, you know, it that's basically the why, what, how, now model in one sentence. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you could use that in an ad, you could use it on a landing page, you could use it uh, in an email. Really the form and format doesn't matter. It's almost the last thing we consider. Getting really clear on the positioning and the narrative for the message comes first. Right, right. Okay, so now let's say we have the messaging intact. Let's say we know what kinds of kinds of offers we're going to present. Um, how are you finding traffic and where are you gonna find traffic? Especially if you're a SaaS company, like. What are, like, for example, we look at late funnel keywords, early funnel keywords, Facebook retargeting. Like, what are some things that you guys uh, recommend that SaaS companies do? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I mean, we're, very, we're a very model-heavy company. And so the whole idea there being rather than having all of your IP stuck in digital files that gather dust, and you know, what I'm talking about here are presentations, Excel files that become outdated very quickly. And the best way to think about this is ask yourself the question, how often are you looking at a file that you put together or were presented to a quarter ago? If the answer is, you know, very rarely or never, then that kind of lends to why we've adopted uh, models as a way of communicating information. Mm -hmm. And so the way that we look at it is a model called the targeting trifecta. And the targeting trifecta looks at you know, who, as in who are the influencers within your industry? So if it's a, a legal SaaS client, you want to figure out who are the people that are the voices, who are the bloggers essentially in your industry that um, your customers are really are, are you know paying attention to. And so if you're selling to lawyers, this might be some hotshot lawyer who's got uh, a, an opinion and a well-trafficked blog. Mm-hmm. And so... 
that's sort of the you know um, who who they follow. The next the next one is where they are spending some time. Where are they frequenting? And so, what are the forums, publications, or magazines, um, online or offline for that matter, that they are subscribing to? So this is where they're spending time and attention. It could be a YouTube channel. So again, we're not too stuck on the form and format. What we're looking is where is the attention being spent? Mm -hmm. um, and the last part of it is where are they funding? And so if somebody is going to be buying your SaaS product, what are some other SaaS products that they're in? They're, you know, they're investing in that are part of the value chain or the value ladder. It could be uh, a, a platform that they buy before they use your platform. It could be a platform that is an adjacent uh, niche, uh, or sorry, a niche to your platform. And those are the ones that you know you'll know you'll be able to tap into each one of those audiences. So if you start overlaying each one of those audiences, you know who they follow, where they frequent, and where they fund, you'll start seeing some natural overlaps of where you know if you see an influencer mention a particular um, software platform, then whoever's reading that particular person's blog is going to have this halo effect of the influencer recommending a particular platform, and you're going to go check it out. Mm -hmm. And so. We start with topics and places and people, and then we go dive deeper into, into keywords, for example. And ultimately, keywords are really, you know, when you think about the results you find on a Google search, um, you know, a SERP page, they are websites, and those websites have content. And so it's actually an easier approach to go topic first and, you know, uh, platform, as in where the content is actually housed, rather than going keyword first, which is, you know, a lot of people take that approach, but I think that it's very easy to, you know, it's very easy to have a myopic view on the keywords you actually want to focus on versus the ones that can actually generate conversions, but you may not be paying attention to. Yeah, 100% agree. That's a great example. I think um, on the Who framework, one thing that we've done is uh, in we serve the association space. So we've partnered with a bunch of experts in the industry who all have their own followers and associations and membership directors that follow them. And we hold monthly or semi-monthly expert webinars with them. So we will hold an event with them and then they'll invite their lists. They'll put it out on social. We'll invite our lists and collectively that ends up bringing, you know, thousands of registrants to our webinars because we know that our audience follows those people. There you go. You're using exactly the right strategy with the halo effect of an influencer that puts you guys in, in the best possible light. Yeah, and, and with that strategy, basically what you're saying is start with the framework of who, where, and what uh, else they're buying and, and the value chain and the value ladder just to identify those opportunities because it may not be in Google. It may not be on, on LinkedIn, but it might be on Instagram. It might be on YouTube. It can be anywhere. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I think that you know, there's, there's such an abundance of content online if you look at all the growth hacking websites on how to do this. The, the key thing that makes a model really useful is it's dependable and you can repeat it and it can scale. The way that we kind of talk about it is you don't do any work without a framework. And the nice thing about if you're a creative is that you can freestyle within the framework as well. So think of it as a nice set of uh, very liberal constraints to work within that gets you the desired output every single time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So. I get the framework, the value, the framework, and the model. Um, just to bring it more to life for the audience, like I gave kind of one of my examples. Uh, can you bring some of those other options, or like the where or the what on the value chain, 
that can bring some of these ideas to life for the audience? Yeah, totally. So um, let's maybe start like the, the way that we unpack our, our own IP for this is we always identify the intent first. And so when you're thinking about the intent of the end user, let me kind of let's why don't we role play this a little bit. So why would somebody want to pay for Wild Apricot's membership software? Because they're using Excel and they constantly have to track down people to renew their membership payments. Right. Okay. So if we know that they want a better future where, you know, they're not in this Excel hell mm -hmm. and outdated versions and having to go flip files between each other on email, that's not a, a very good way to spend your work day. So it's instead so funny, of that, so funny you said Excel hell is, uh, that's the exact term we use online. So oh, there sorry. you go. Okay. So, yeah, so, sorry. Uh, continue. Yeah. So and the reason I bring that up is, you know, you may get this feedback by doing customer development. You can talk to your own users. You can talk to churned users from a different platform. And what we do is we put that whole thing together into a model called the four forces model. And the four forces model is actually pretty easy to draw out. Um, it, it's, you know, our models themselves are simple. It's the quality of the inputs that really um, govern the quality of the outputs. It's a little bit like garbage in, garbage out, except we're all, all killer and no filler. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about the, the model, um, on the left, you've got your frustrations. Now, that's basically what your user is facing right now as a, a, a conundrum, a frustration in their life. This is the stuff that keeps them up at night, right? Um, when they go, man, I have to go back into the office on Monday, and there's that, that stupid Excel file that I need to work with, and I just know it's going to be error prone. And so if that's the frustration, we look at what the top three frustrations are for a given client. Then we look at what's the opposite of that frustration. So on the right-hand side of the quadrant, you've got what they want. And so what does a customer actually want? For them, they want the, if the, if the frustration is Excel hell, then you want automated heaven on the right-hand side, yep. right? Um, on the bottom left corner, we've got their fears, which are, you know, what would, what's the negative consequence that will happen three to six months down the line if they continue being in Excel hell? And if it's a growing company, you know, they're probably going to be uh, adding more people to that Excel file. And it's only going to compound, right? Until one day, mm -hmm. uh, the Excel file will probably get corrupted. And that's like the worst fear that the administrator of that Excel file probably has. Yeah. So that's their fear. Mm -hmm. And then their aspiration is not only making life better, but making the impact on their company better as well. So in our world, we always go look at what would we need to do? What would need to be true for our client to go into their boss's office and get a big fat promotion? And that can only happen when you have the right fit leads, you know, predictably being generated at the right cost and the business is going at growing in a scalable fashion. So figure out what that future is for, for Wild Apricot. So let's just talk about that. Once somebody has spent six months using the platform, what, what does their reality look like at that point in time? Their organization has grown, they have more volunteers, they're generating more revenue, um, just everything is better for their organization. Yeah, so boom, so now what you've done is you've got you know three frustrations, three wants, three fears, and three aspirations. You've got 12 different points that you can talk about in your content and in your messaging, and this becomes a litmus test for you to test everything, your 
your ad copy, your creative, your landing pages, your email sequences, and so on. And the way that we think about it is every piece of content that you generate must further the sale. And the way you further the sale is by moving people from what they're frustrated by to what they want and what, they're, what they fear to what they aspire towards. And so if anything else on your site is, is talking about stuff that uh, has anything to do other than those four forces, then that's an opportunity to really 80-20 your focus and go deeper. Mm -hmm. And sorry, just to, just to confirm, we're talking about bringing the frameworks of who, where, what to life. And you said we're going to start with intent and you gave the four forces. And now, so now we're on to the second part. Now we're on to the second part, which is content. And so yeah. our uh, fundamental belief, and this is what's being backed up, uh, as you can imagine, with the type of clients that we work with, we have access to, you know, a, a treasure trove of data. Um, everything from, you know, hundreds of millions of impressions that we can see in something like Google Search Console, mm -hmm. all the way down to revenue data. And we do feedback loop meetings with our clients as well to look at what is their point of sale, what does their Stripe account say, and so on, so we can track the, the whole life cycle from impression to, to revenue and recommitment. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things that we believe about engaging users with content is this. The fundamental belief is that there's a, a fire hose of information out there, and people are drowning in it. And so the solution is not to to do more content. Um, that's the last thing I think that your users want. They don't need to read another 10 ways to do X type of, of blog post. Um, what they want to know is that you understand them and their problems. And so a lot of what we do in our, in our business is focus on creating 90% less content, but going 10 times as deep. Mm -hmm. And so what that looks like is if you can articulate the client or your customer's problems better than they can, they tend to trust you. Right. And you need to therefore know what those problems are to be able to articulate them better than your customer can. So like when you say Excel hell is what's on your, your landing page, and that might be because you've heard people talk about the hellish circumstances that they have to deal with, with Excel files that are, you know, you know, Frank, you know they're like Frankenstein Excel files essentially. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> How do you take that problem and put it in words where your customer goes, you know what, you hit the nail on the head and you just describe the situation I'm facing better than I can. That's the opportunity around content. Right. The idea being that if you do this first part of understanding their frustrations, their fears, their aspirations and all of that, you understand them better. And then when you put that into your content, then there's more of a match between what they're looking for and what you offer. Yeah, and it becomes so much easier to create that content, right? You're no longer hunting for ideas because the ideas are directly tied to the four forces. Um, anything but the four forces would be, you, you know, you do that when you've already hit all of the, uh, the items that are in the four forces, which are at least 12 different topic angles. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. right, so continue. So. In terms of our content, we, um, you know, we're big on pinpointing problems. So we have something called a nine-point uh, problem pinpointing framework. And what we do over there is we take the three biggest problems that keep your, you know, our clients, customers up at night, and then we look at how do we talk about this problem in a way that their audience would love to be spoken to. And if you think about the way people buy, uh, I don't know the last time you were in. Um, a store that had a commissioned sales rep. Mm -hmm. As soon as you walk in, uh, they go 
do you need any help? And you just go, nope, no thanks, I'm just browsing, right? And we've all been in that circumstance before. And so I think fundamentally people love to buy, but they don't like being sold. And that's one of the reasons why we're not big on creating purely solutions-focused content. Uh, it also you know, showcases a way where your brand shows up very differently than the rest of your competition, because then you're just focused on creating a better mousetrap rather than a, a different mousetrap. Right. And so what we do with our content is go, people buy because they want to gain something. Uh, number two, they want, want to avoid losing something um, or because it just logically makes sense to do so. And so about 80% of people in the population will buy because of emotional reasons. And then there's the analyticals that, you know, I'm sure you, you and I all have friends where you see this person and you can just see the numbers are, are crunching in their head. They're trying to figure <laughs> out whether it logically makes sense to make a decision. I definitely have a friend like that. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, um, but I think what everybody does is we buy, you know, we buy emotionally and we back it up logically. So, our opportunity is to take the same problem. I mean, all three types are facing the same problem, but the way you speak to them might be different. And so if you think about the way that we create content, that content is problem focused, but we change the, the headline, if you will, just to make this a bit more um, tangible. The headline might be entirely different based off whether somebody wants to gain something, like they want to you know, move to automated heaven, right? If, if, and mm -hmm. moving away from Excel hell, um, they want to stop being an Excel hell, which is like, they don't want to lose what this, this, you know, very, very convoluted Excel file that they're working on. Mm -hmm. Or they logically go, you know what? It's, you know, I spend four hours to five hours a week working on this Excel file. It's no good. It's low quality work. It just makes more sense for this to be automated. And maybe I should look for some software that helps me do that, right? And so now we've taken the same piece of content and we've sliced it three different ways for gain to avoid loss and because it makes sense to do so. That's a logical angle. And you multiply it. So you have a three by three grid and you have now nine different topics um, that you can talk about and they're all problem focused. And when you can really hit the nail on the head with the problem, you get the permission to make a prescription. Um, so the belief system there is, you know, there's some types of people that we go to, we inherently give trust. For example, you don't go to a doctor and question the prescription that he or she gives you. Mm -hmm. You don't question the advice your lawyers give you. You never ask your surgeon uh, why they are doing what they're doing. You know, you just kind of trust that they're doing the right thing because they're in a position of authority and influence. Mm -hmm. But if you think about software and marketers and what we do, we're always being questioned about whether it's the right strategy or not. And we have to gain trust. It isn't just implicit um, and it doesn't exist. So uh, the way we do it is when you describe the problem better than the customer can, you gain their trust and then you get the permission to make a prescription. And the prescription is that next step, like use my software for a 30-day trial and you know, you know, you can achieve one, two, and three, whatever those benefits are for your piece of software, mm -hmm. and then you get to this better result. And that would be um, either what they want or what they aspire towards. So and it's a little bit formulaic in a way where you can get to that outcome every single time. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the software. It can also be items or, or assets or uh, things that they can download that are earlier in their journey, wherever they're ready. Like by You can earn their trust by giving them a piece of content that really solves a very specific problem that they're looking for an answer for, and then say, hey, I have a more detailed white paper on how to generate more traffic with SEO, for example. 
it, exactly, right? And, and wherever possible, give people the opportunity to play with your content and make it more interactive. One of the things that we found was that and if you search marketing agencies um, on Google, we've got one of our web pages shows up right at the top. And it's just a list of all the different marketing agencies that you can find in Canada. Um, it's become one of the most popular pages on our website. And then we have another page that is uh, an ROI calculator. And it's not gated. You can just get in there and start pumping in some numbers about your current situation, what you want that situation to look like in the future to do some scenario modeling. The whole purpose over there is we know that a big problem that marketers face is being able to prove ROI and getting buy-in. And so we created a calculator that just says, hey, just play around with this. And our prescription is go from your current situation to the new scenario that you frankly created, right? So there's this element of co-creation where you're the person inputting the numbers, but you're putting it into the model that we've created. And now we've come up with something together. Um, and then it can, it's up to the person to go, what do I want to do next? And we've given them tons of options of being able to engage with us. Right, right. Um, and, and there is also an opportunity to gain more trust because they helped create this piece of content. Precisely, yeah. It's, it's their idea, right? It's very inception where the idea is theirs and you've just enabled a way for them to, uh, for it to kind of, you know, uh, to, to grow in their mind. Right, okay, so we talked about identifying the pain points, then we talked about the content, what's the next step? So we now, we now have to present that to them, right? So if we know what they want and we know how you know, they'd like to be spoken to and what kind of content we need to create, we now need to convert them. And, and to do that, we need to show up. And so that's presenting it to the right person at the right time in the right place. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, we could do an entire podcast on how to basically do that, which mm -hmm. is getting in front of people with the right platforms, yep. the right cost of acquisition. But supposing that you're able to do that, there are two things why, um, that, that contribute to why people don't buy. Um, the first one is and not having the right offer. And if you don't have the right offer, then it's easy to say no to it. And the second part of that offer is, is it clear? Um, if the offer is not clear and it's in a very resistible, then people walk away. But what we want, I think, is a clear offer that's irresistible, almost like a godfather offer where mm -hmm. they just can't say no. And so that's a, the, the third part that we work on, which is creating or crafting an offer that is both clear and uh, irresistible so that people say yes way more than they say no. What would be an example of that? Well, let me give you a, a, a jovial example about sort of offer for clarity to begin with, right? Mm -hmm. So a clear offer might be something like if you were to go on Amazon and if you find a book called The Complete Guide to Male Castration. <laughs> yeah. Right, so that's very clear, but it's not very desirable. Mm -hmm. and so we, you know, clarity alone does not an offer make. The second part of it would be, uh, you know, the offer desirability. And if you wanna increase that, what we want to show people is that they can go from a place of fear or frustration to an aspiration they want with while minimizing the risk as well. And mm -hmm. so for you guys, that might be something like uh, not only a free trial, but a concierge onboarding as well 
plus a 30 day money back guarantee or something of that nature, right? Mm -hmm. You completely de-risk the process. And now not every company needs that. That's why you need to do competitive research to understand what is the value ladder like of that customer? Who have they used before your solution? What kind of investment have they made as well? That really guides what they would need to see. So like imagine what, um, you know, in, in Airbnb's example, one of the things that they did was create this concept of a 11 star experience. And, and the thought process over there was, you know, we know what a five star experience looks like. We have five star hotels. But when you're going to go stay at somebody else's place, what would a six star experience look like? And that might be, you know, a nice personal note or something like that when you get to their get to the, the place you're staying at. A seven star experience would be, you know, a personalized set of recommendations are on the, the nearby activities or restaurants. An eight star experience would be, you know, a, a warm welcome where they pick you up from the airport and so on and so on, all the way until you get to an 11 star experience. So mm -hmm. uh, part of creating an irresistible offer is knowing exactly what your customer would need to see so that they're so overwhelmed by, like, this is so awesome that there's no other response but to say yes to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so for a SaaS company, what would what would an irresistible offer look like? I know the 30-day money-back guarantee, white glove onboarding, like a lot of SaaS companies do set up and they have like services teams and things like that. But what about earlier in the funnel where you find, you potentially find the right person? What would be an irresistible offer to get that person to to be on your list, to subscribe and, and, and then start being part of your funnel? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think that, you know, every offer should be really specific um, we see lots of offers being like, Hey, you know, join our newsletter and we'll send you, you know, weekly growth hacks. Mm -hmm. And a, a common mistake over there is, are you speaking to your customers or are you speaking to your peers? And so if you're trying to get a newsletter of other growth hacker in-house marketer types, then that's fine, but it won't result in customers necessarily. Right. Right. So be really specific about the, you know, the lead magnet or the content upgrade, whatever you wish to call it, that moves somebody from one point of frustration to something that they want. Uh, an example would be if they are stuck in Excel hell, um, you know, and it's a locally hosted thing, why not give them, uh, and I'm making this up, but some sort of really well formatted Google Docs file or Google Sheets file, which moves them from, you mm -hmm. know, local storage on their desktop, which is prone to, you know, their hard drive getting corrupted or something like that, or them losing the file in Excel crashing, to Google Docs, where it's cloud hosted and it's easy to share and everybody can work on it at the same time. And just by providing a, a template for what the right membership management, um, you know, spreadsheet should look like, you've now moved them a little bit further away from the crappy experience that they were they're already having to something that's a little bit better. And then in that particular spreadsheet, if you say, hey, you think this is good, just wait until you see what our software can do. Now you've gained some trust and you have the permission from to actually make an offer for them to go from there to maybe a, a, a video, a case study, or a webinar where they can see it in action for a customer of their, their type. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, that's a good example for sure. And another thing that we do is, um, let's say somebody comes to one of our articles and it's about how to take effective meeting minutes during your board meetings. Well, we have a checklist that they can download from within that article that is about taking meeting minutes, right? So it serves their need at that very specific time and it's it solves a problem that they were looking for an answer for. So it's all about figuring out what is that answer and that problem that they're trying to solve.
Yeah, the, you know, the beautiful thing about it, Shiv, is that if you just subvert your own needs for their needs, coming up with the ideas are so simple because all you need to do is think about what is the moment in which they need you the most, even if it's not something that your software suite or platform actually does, mm -hmm. but it's in and around. Like it could be, it could totally just be the fact that it's, um, it's on the, the roadmap or it's on the path to them using your platform, right? right. And if you just give, um, you know, frankly, uh, without the expectation of that, that lead turning into uh, an opportunity or into a demo immediately, um, the nice thing about it is that people remember that you help them and, is, and then it's just a matter of frequency and staying in touch, right? Um, one of the things that we do in our, in our business when it comes especially to uh, email marketing is something called nine-word email. And a, a friend of mine, Dean Jackson, actually came up with the mm -hmm. concept. And it's a simple email, which is simply, like if in your case, it, let's say you have deals that are enterprise and, and you know they, and I don't know if you guys do this or not, but if you're taking on kind of a, a high-touch sales model where the demo has to close into an opportunity, an opportunity into a, a deal, uh, you know, why not send emails six months after the, the closed uh, deal or the, the deal is lost and simply say, hey, uh, Shiv, are you still looking for membership software? Right. Or are you still looking for a better way to, to manage your members? Right. And that's an immediate way to reactivate that person. Um, and they go, you know what? It, I totally am. The timing wasn't right or maybe the budget wasn't there. I'm open to re-engaging. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a great example. And oftentimes, you know, companies send those perfectly crafted newsletters with the header and images and a uh, long subject line. But it could just be, you know, if you had a similar to the way you would send an email, an email to a friend, you know, you send it to a customer saying, you know, subject line, Hey, and are you still looking for membership software? The response rate on that would definitely be way higher. Yeah. I mean, we've tested it. Like, it, you know, the, the, the response rate on one of those beautifully crafted email newsletters have what a 20% opens considered good. Yeah. But what we do with our email marketing platforms is we spend almost little or to no time on the HTML template. Um, so we'll either do an HTML template that's very bare bones and looks like a, uh, uh, you know, a real email or we'll just go plain text. Yeah. And it's usually a one liner email with a question that they can respond to back to and, uh, that's kind of a, a short, personal, and expecting a reply type of email. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so you have the content, you've presented the offer to the customer, the customer is interested, so they've they've uh, exchanged their email address for it. What's the next step? I mean, if, you, if you've attracted them and you've engaged them, the next step is figuring out how to convert them, right? Mm -hmm. And so just figure out what the progressive offers would need to look like um, where they would start raising their hand and saying yes. And so uh, the nice thing about lead magnets is that they implicitly, the person who downloads a meeting notes uh, lead magnet or checklist is somebody who's in charge of taking notes at a meeting. And so it might make sense for you to send a, a nine word email after to saying, hey, how often are you running these kinds of meetings? Mm -hmm. And there you go, you have a conversation started at that point in time. Right. Right. Uh, and I can give some wild apricot examples here. Like I gave that meeting minute checklist example. Um, once somebody signs up for that, they enter something called our education track, which is kind of a drip campaign of all education and value added uh, resources. When there's no hard selling. And then we invite them to these educational webinars with experts. And that's an irresistible offer that they then sign up for and then graduate 
to the next step. And then from there, we provide them with more software resources and then eventually present them with a free trial. So there's different offers presented at multiple stages of the journey. And eventually, you know, uh, our, we, we know that uh, the conversion rate from an email lead to trial is about six to one, right? So that we know that that entire funnel works for us. Yeah, and then uh, and I'll just mirror on our side, you know, we've got a, a resource called the 80-point AdWords checklist because a lot of our clients have already been doing AdWords by the time that they've come to us somewhat unsuccessfully. So whether it's a high cost of acquisition, not the right fit lead, uh, or not simply getting enough of the, the right kinds of conversions or leads, they come to us with one of those problems. And one of the ways that we educate and motivate them as prospects along the the funnel is this uh, resource that we built called the 80 point AdWords checklist. It gives you 80 things to look for and look out for when you're running your own AdWords account. Um, so people love that, they download it. And then what we do is we follow up with a list of emails that simply goes, uh, like let's say if you downloaded it, it would, it would go, Shiv, how long have you been running AdWords for? Mm -hmm. And you reply and, and we go, what kind of products or services do you sell with it? And then we go down and what's more important to you? Is it scaling your AdWords campaign or is it bringing down your cost of acquisition? And there you go, just like that, we're paying some hot potato where we're going back and forth in a conversation which culminates with uh, something like, hey Shiv, uh, I'm getting together with a couple of people to discuss improving quality scores in 2018. Would you like to join us? Mm -hmm. And now you've taken somebody from an email conversation to a, a one-to-many, educating and selling type of environment where the last question is just simply, Shiv, would you like me to help you with your AdWords? Right, right. And and that 80 point AdWords checklist will include things like, you know, I'm assuming tips like geography, site links, negative keywords, et cetera. So if the person read that, then the questions that you're asking over email fit whatever they downloaded. Yeah, that's exactly it. You you begin with you know the end in mind. You work backwards from over there and go. If somebody's reading this and they're looking at all these checklist things, what's going on in their mind? They're probably thinking, "Man, this is awesome!" And now I have a way. I have a a map, if you will, to make sure I'm doing it right. Or they're thinking, "Holy crap! I never thought about these things. I'm sure glad that this is in front of me, but I have no idea where I should start." Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if we ask questions along each one of those trajectories, we get to like understanding the real situation. And I mean, situation is kind of like a, a code word for when things are crappy. You ask somebody what their situation is rather than asking them what's broken. Um, and so going down that path is when we figure out, well, what, where do you need help the most right now? And we can then figure out whether or not we're a good fit for each other to, to basically start doing some work together. Right. Right. Uh, no, it makes a lot of sense. Um, the last point I wanted to touch on after we've gone through this entire framework is, is accountability, right? Because I think one thing that's different about your world than inside, let's say, a business, um, whether it's a SaaS company or any other kind of company, is you guys have to deliver um, results on these campaigns for your clients in order for you to retain the clients, right? So uh, performance is, is key. And I think that can put you in a good position to to share with other people that are inside these companies on how they can set up the right kind of measurement and what yes. kinds of benchmarks or metrics to look at to know if their campaigns are actually working. Yeah, you bet, exactly. I mean, th that is the uh, daily life of, of being in the agency world, right? It's managing expectations. And the way that we kind of think about it is, um, it's quite simple, like we, we measure results and we measure relationship. And you need both to be able to, to succeed. Um, so when we are, you know, the expert agency coming in as an augmentation 
of the the existing marketing team at a for a SaaS client, for example, there are some things that we level set from the beginning. So, for example, I say, you know, every one of our successful clients does, you know, these four things, and I need to know if you're going to be a successful client. And and those four things are they're quick to implement, they're quick to ask for help, uh, they're quick to share wins, and they're quick to share challenges. Mm -hmm. And so, if fundamentally the team that we're working with is not okay with that, well, chances for that project to fail are much larger than not. And it's a little bit like if you've ever sat in uh, an exit row on a plane, you know the, the FA comes up to you and says, hey, you know what, if the plane goes down, I need you to kind of help open the door. Um, they need to hear an audible, I'm okay, or okay from you, so that right. they know that you're gonna comply, right? right. Um, and that you, know, you will help out if needed. And so we do the same thing with our clients as well, where we go, these are some of the, the very basic things that are promises to each other about how we're gonna make this relationship fantastic. And then what we do is we do a discovery project to walk through everything that we've talked about today, where we build their four forces model, we build their nine point content framework, um, you know, we'll build out their targeting trifecta. And these are the, the foundational building blocks upon which the rest of their funnel acquisition, engagement, and conversion happens. Right, right. So, so when we're talking about the results and reporting when it gets to that stage and looking, you know, I get it. You set the expectations up front. You ask for the commitment that they're going to need to make in order to make this work. What are the metrics you eventually end up looking at for the types of campaigns that you're running? Yeah, I mean, we are first and foremost revenue focused. So um, a, a lot of other folks in our industry tend to focus on upper funnel somewhat vanity metrics and that might be eyeballs and impressions mm -hmm. um, we work backwards from the, the funnel so if supposing it's a high touch sales process then we would start off with closed revenue from you know deals sourced through marketing or touch by marketing and then back that out to opportunities sqls mqls all the way down to now you know now that's the sales kind of marketing bridge we go into what were some of the offers that generated the MQL, why did they work, where does the actual uh, traffic come from, what was the cost of each one of those things, and then the feedback loop is what is the quality of each one of those as well. And so we work backwards from revenue to be able to make decisions on um, how to optimize the funnel further and the way that we acquire, engage, and convert. Mm -hmm. And so the revenue focus is very important because I think if you're a performance marketer or you're trying to drive pipeline for a SaaS company and you're trying to engage in these kinds of campaigns, really that's the focus. So what, what advice would you have in terms of um, running campaigns and measuring performance when it comes to things like cost per lead and, and co uh, customer acquisition cost and things like that? Well, one of the things that you know we, you and I have chatted about before is this idea of a golden ratio in SaaS, and so that's a, an old metric. I think it was Joe Spolsky that came up with it, where it was you want your lifetime value to be three x your customer acquisition cost. And so, if we're really trying to look at you know revenue and deal source, and we want to know what the marketing plus sales labor cost was that you know contributed to the the CAC. Um, what we're looking for over here is two things. A, knowing them. So a lot of companies, frankly, don't know how to measure their LTV or CAC, which is uh, a good place to start. And the second thing that we want to do is, are we spending enough money to hit the goals that we want to hit as a, as a team collaboratively? Often what I end up seeing is 
um, especially founders, B2B SaaS founders going, I know what my LTV is. I have a big growth goal, might be you know, doubling in size or revenue over the course of the next 12 months. But then they ha I asked them, what would you cheerfully pay for a new client or customer that I would give you right now? And I don't, and they go, well, what do you mean from Facebook or LinkedIn? And I go, no, no, none of that. Forget where they're coming from. If somebody pays you X dollars to become a customer for you right now, mm -hmm. and you know they're gonna stick around for the entire lifetime value, how much would you be willing to pay for that particular customer? So suppose the, the lifetime value for a B2B deal might be something like, um, let's say it's it's a thousand dollars, okay? Mm -hmm. And so this might be something like looking at one of the, the video conferencing softwares, or if it's GoToMeeting or whatever. Or um, Wildapricot. <laughs> Or while the apricot, like something in the you know nine to let's say ninety nine dollar range per user per month. Yeah. Um, if you get a thousand dollar LTV, it begs that you have to be spending three hundred and thirty three dollars to acquire that. If you spend below that, you're being greedy and you're shortchanging your your ability to generate results. Um, and if you're spending over that, you're not making very much money. And so what we want to do is tune towards that three to one ratio, especially when we're talking about SaaS. Yeah, I, I would argue this is probably the the number one mistake a lot of uh, marketers in general uh, make is not knowing these two numbers is what is an acceptable customer acquisition cost and what is the lifetime value. And I think a big part of it starts with awareness and understanding about how business works, right? Because if you really just think about how much money you make in the first month or the first 60 days or the first 90 days, you really miss that back-end revenue. And so you can't really properly forecast. And I get that when you're cash-strapped, you may actually have to look at that short, a shorter window. But the, the right practice is to look at the long-term window to see how much your customer is worth. Yeah, that's exactly it. And the number of times we get... A prospect coming in and talking to us about, hey, I tried Facebook advertising, it doesn't work for my business, or I tried AdWords and it was a complete bust. Yeah. Um, once we start digging into some of the details, what really comes out is they didn't have the right offer, they didn't target the right people, they didn't spend enough money, and they didn't stick with it for long enough to have a statistically significant result. Right. And their expectations are that it will convert the same way as, let's say, SEO will in terms of the investment required. Whereas a lot of this is, you know, put, like you said, like the ATM model, you put a certain amount of money in, you expect a certain amount of money out. Yeah, that's exactly it. And that's why we, when it becomes so much easier as a mental model. When you go, if I know exactly for every dollar that I invest in channel, you know, X, whether X is AdWords or Facebook, I'm going to be making this many dollars out the other end, you get that sense of comfort um, in being able to go, you know, do I start, you know, moving up my daily spend from $1,000 to $5,000? It seems like a big leap, but as long as the ratios are the same and that's where you test and you measure, you know, closely, uh, that is exactly how you scale. Right. Uh, I wanted to draw attention to one more metric that we look at internally is there's the LTV to CAC ratio. Um, and with Wild Apricot, our, our LTV to CAC ratio is very high this year, it jumped to 10 to 1. Um, but another metric that's really worth considering is your annual contract value or ACV mm -hmm. and the payback period on that. And the golden number for SaaS companies there is to be under 12 months, right? So we make $1,000 a year per customer. So even though our LTV to CAC ratio is 10 to 1, that means they're staying with us for 10 years. But we wouldn't front load, let's say, five years 
worth of investment to get that 10 years of revenue. We're more conservative there, but we're willing to spend more than the three to one ratio just because we can we can afford to. Yeah. And I think that comes down entirely to, you know, your market and your competition and what they're raising or if, you know, most of your competitors are self-funded. Often I kind of go, if you have a great LTV, what you're basically saying is that your product really, really works. Um, And so why wouldn't you want to get a customer first before your competition does so that they, they can stay with you and you can deliver the dream result that your product offers faster for that customer because mm-hmm. when you do that customer becomes a brand ambassador for you and you get all this free word of mouth advertising because you've now made them happier by moving them from their you know their fears and their frustrations to their wants and aspirations mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, for me this this whole thing connects to the idea I mentioned earlier is that frameworks give eventually give you the ability to freestyle right so this all of this is awesome but really to all the listeners, my, my advice would be to take all this and contextualize it for your business and to figure out exactly where you can make adjustments and improvements or, or take part of it, not all of it, you know, whatever works for your business after, because you have a much better understanding of what that looks like uh, for you. Um, Dave, do you have anything else you would like to add before we finish up here? I think that the the big thing that I I want everybody who's listening to focus in on is start thinking about how can you focus more on where your customer is at right now rather than where you want them to be. So if all your marketing is very bottom of funnel and your, your customers are really like they need to be educated and they're top of funnel, start pivoting that way so that you can meet them exactly where they're at. And then once you've got them, you can nurture and shepherd them all the way to close. And frankly, I think that you know, customers want strong leadership from the brands that they work with because you're telling them exactly what they need after diagnosing what their situation is. Um, and I think too many brands will prescribe before they diagnose uh, and going, you know, my whatever, my platform, my solution is exactly right for you. And they don't even know who the you really is. And, um, you know, when somebody gets to their web page. So that would be my uh, my parting thought. But dude, this has been fantastic. I love jamming out. This is a great conversation. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for being on. And just two things I would just want to complete the episode with is, uh, one, if you're a SaaS company and you're looking for help with uh, paid marketing or SEO, give Dave a call and Powered by Search. If you would like me to con- connect you, just email me at shiv at how to SaaS. Uh, and the second thing for you, Dave, really appreciate you taking the time. And I appreciate you making all of this simple for the audience because, you know, true expertise, I think when it's really showcased is when you can explain something really complex to someone like you're talking to a five-year-old. And I think you did a really great job of that here today uh, because this is really tough stuff for a lot of businesses to understand, especially when they're built on sales, especially when when they don't have marketing expertise in-house. So thanks a lot for doing this. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate the plug. Uh, remind me to slip you a 20 the next time I meet you. <laughs> the, my commission fee is a little higher than that, but yeah, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> thanks, buddy. All right, take care. That's it for today's episode, guys. Thanks for listening. Please be sure to subscribe on iTunes and to check us out at www.howtosass.com. And we will see you next time.